I might not even go and vote. I might just pay the $200 fine. Um, I don't know if that's a sensible thing to do, but I don't know. I feel a bit disillusioned. I don't know if it's my wife coming back or the election, but I, I feel disillusioned. No, we want my wife back. Don't, don't say that about the little general. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Today's show, a code cracker. As we all know, we're faced with a federal election in the next couple of days. Yes, it is the title fight for Australia. ScoMo versus Albo, who's going to win? Well, I'll tell you what, who really cares? But because this is a property podcast and politicians love meddling, in the real estate marketplace, we're going to have a chat about some of the policies, some of the ideas, the powers that be have when it comes to real estate. If it's your first time tuning into the show, welcome aboard. Uh, make sure you play the show in double speed, get your life back. And I'll tell you what, uh, I'm about to lose my life. Yes, uh, the little general is returning. Yes, my wife uh, otherwise known as the little general is making her way back to the household. I'm in panic stations. Uh, I've got a series of cleaners basically trying to get the place looking good. It's uh, She's been gone a while, two months. And um, as uh, a happy man not having a wife around, it's been fantastic, I tell you. But uh, all good things come to an end, and that means it's time to be bossed around by uh, the little general. So we'll see what my life feels like in the next couple of weeks. I'm sure it'll be great because uh, she is a bit of a hoop, even though she is a lovely little gobnick. Hey, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, you probably need to go back a few less uh, episodes, listen to some other podcasts I've done. They're all lessons on real estate. The impact when it comes to how politicians perceive the real estate market is something that we do need to discuss. Uh, what are the investment impacts of the election? What will fundamentally unfold? Is there much noise coming through the system? Let's take a bit of a look. And it's fair to say, who knows who's going to win? Uh, it could be a hung parliament. We could be going back to the days of when Bob Catter was in charge of the country because uh, a majority could not be created. Remember those days. Remember when crazy Bob was in charge of everything, cruising around with his 40-gallon hat uh, interesting story. My business partner, Jason, dated Bobcat's, Bobcatter's daughter. Um, he's from North Queensland. Jason's from a little village in the middle of nowhere. And um, somehow he ended up dating Bobcatter's daughter. So there's a there's a weird, interesting fact for you, isn't there? So uh, I don't know about you, but I don't think anyone really has a plan when it comes to the vision of Australia. What is the real plan? Like, what is the BHAG? You know, in business, it's basically business 101 that you need to have a big, hairy, audacious goal, a massive BHAG as to where the business is going. Running a country is no different to running a business. You've got good bits and bad bits to look after. But what is the actual vision for Australia? And this is where I, you know, I break down with every politician at the moment because I don't feel like there is this shared value, this shared journey, uh, this shared language, this shared behaviour that we're all accountable to at the moment. We're not seemingly, um, whether you know, you're pro-liberal or pro-labour or pro-greens or uh, you know, pro whoever, like there doesn't seem to be someone standing up and going, you know what, this is the vision for Australia. This is what we need to do to get there. I'm going to be the guy that actually takes us to this place. So I'm a bit scorned by it all, to be honest with you. And I, I think we've had great 
prime ministers in the past. I don't know if it's just because I'm getting older and maybe, um, you know, uh, look back with maybe uh, half, half glass full kind of mindset. But, you know, there was some, some, some crazy, awesome politicians that had visions for Australia. You know, Bob Hawke was um, uh, a... a a colourful character, uh, Johnny Howard, another colourful little character cruising around. They had all these kind of little visions and I think when you rank the top prime ministers, certainly none of the current bunch uh, are in it. You know, John Curtin, Ben Chifley, Paul Keating, Gough Whitlam, John Howard. Uh, these are considered the greats, Bobby Hawke. Um, and it's fair to say, you know, under their leadership, whether they were Labor or Liberal, you know, Australia went through change. Uh, great reforms happened. Australia popped out with, um, you know, in some respects, a new and better place to go. Uh, and, you know, in some respects, we are lacking statesmanship, right? We seem to be squabbling over just, you know, whatever. It seems to be the great... Uh, the great bribe game at the moment. Who whinges the most gets the most money and that's how Australia fundamentally works, which is disappointing because, um, yeah, I think we are better than that as a people. But anyway, this is not a political show, so I shouldn't, uh, you know, shouldn't even really get into that. This is a real estate show, but I'll tell you what, some good news from politicians are of late despite being uh, many of them, you know, absolute nutters, uh, we've actually done a full term of a uh, prime minister. Remember when we had, uh, I don't know, uh, Kevin Rudd and Julia Giddard and Tony Abbott and Malcolm Turnbull and everyone was, man, we had so many prime ministers. Every afternoon you'd have a new prime minister. And I think, you know, that period is just, uh, I'm so glad that has not unfolded. At least we we got to stick out a term and who knows what will happen next. But, geez, um, it, was, uh, it was good to go through a period where the knives didn't come out. But we had so many problems, didn't we? We've, uh, since uh, the, the, the current, I guess, uh, period of time between past election to this election, it's been fires, floods and pandemics. Um, and everything in between, which has been um, so, yeah, such a strange period, I guess, if you look over the last sort of three years of, of what we've all been through. Certainly, I think we'll all remember it for the rest of our lives, the great pandemic that was. But uh, I tell you what, for property investors, I mean, one of the, you know, challenges property investors face is mindset and uh, quite often, you know, the media is trained to make people p feel pretty shit, right? Um, you know, there are some people out there that do some great information on what is good about the world, but no one seems to care about listening to them. So we're obsessed with listening to the media. And I think, you know, property investors need to be very, very mindful that, you are the product, you listening is the media um, and bait is served to you constantly, whether it's through social media or even mainstream media. I mean, I don't know, some media organisations make me absolutely sick. Um, you know, Channel 10 just, mate, they are just into woke crap at the moment and then on the flip side of that, you got like Fox News, which is just brainwashes people to the right, um, which just blows my mind as well. So I think as an investor, you know, it's good to mix up your viewpoints, like go and get views from all over town because just one narrative is not the way to approach being an investor. You've got to potentially remove some of your biases, some of your thought processes, how you've been trained, just to have a real open mind when it comes to how to invest and who's providing you, you know, information and and how broad that information is. I mean, I always say my job here as a podcaster is just to 
brief you just to give you insights, give you information. It's up to you as the investor to take the good bits of my information, chuck out the bad bits, uh, perhaps get some other ideas as well. But be wary of the media. I mean, a lot of the people writing these articles and making us all feel bad, you know, are straight out of university, they don't own real estate, they're 12 years old, um, they are simply are a production line of fear because fear sells. If it bleeds, it leads in the media. And of course, elections, there's a lot of news thrown out there and uh, we need to be very rational as to to how to disseminate fake news, real news. And, uh, you know, a lot of that comes back to according to who compared to what and, you know, the great line, so what? I mean, who cares about half of this stuff anyway? It is uh, half the time just designed to, you know, get you talking unnecessarily about something which means nothing. So elections, they are something which annoys many people in the property market because quite often leading up to an election, there's a lot of doubt, there's a lot of insecurity, there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of trepidation. And certainly last election uh, between Bill Shorten and ScoMo was very hostile. Like before that election, certainly from around January to May 2019, the real estate market was dead. Uh, And when we look at the price movements of pre-election 2019, the real estate market lost close to 4% in value because obviously that election was fought over real estate. It was fought over things like negative gearing. It was thought over things like franking credits. It was actually an, uh, an election which was fought over the logic of investing, which didn't work out for Bill Shorten. Um, and ScoMo did the Stephen Bradbury and obviously became the Prime Minister. After that election um, victory, the real estate market rebounded. We saw straight after the election within six months around uh, a 6.7% gain with, uh, with you know, the the certainty coming back into the market. There's a there's a lot of lessons here. You know, real estate is a very much a certainty sport. Um, if people don't feel job security, if people don't feel security around policy decisions, they will disappear from the market until that uh, is solved. And I think one of the worst things about working with inside governance within an industry which is governed through laws and and obviously political decisions is when politicians sit on the fence and are not clear about what they plan to do. It can be very detrimental to an industry um, and it can be very detrimental and hold people back from just getting on with the business that they've got so many years to live, so much time on this earth, and they've got to go from uh, a situation where they potentially have a limited budget to actually uh, building wealth and using real estate as a vehicle. So every time politicians meddle and slow up the process or the concept of real estate, so many people fall into the trap, the dogma of listening to politicians. Now, when you track uh, really the last 20 years of elections, uh, last 30 years of elections, there's always fairly well a science of a little bit of moderation before the election when it comes to growth. Uh, Post-election though, we um, have seen both growth and slowdown. And so there is no rhyme and reason to really uh, whether Labor wins or Liberal wins. If you track the results of both Liberal and Labor, there is really no clear benefit to either party being in charge when it comes to the results of real estate. Albeit, I will say, certainly the last election would have been 
a real challenge for property investors should have Bill Shorten got into power, ripped up negative gearing, kicked the guts out of the property market. It's probably fair to say the wealth effect would not have unfolded um, and things would be very, very, very different off the back of the past election. So which brings us to the current election. Uh, We are certainly in a place where, from a real estate standpoint, the last 24 months off the back of the pandemic has seen the wealth effect unfold. Lots of real estate has gone up in value. And again, real estate seems to be a hot topic of both the Labor Party and the Liberal Party. I don't know about you, but I feel like we need a whole new party. I'm like, let's start the new party again because these either of these people blow my mind. Um, and I actually think maybe there are so many independents that like this could be the election of the independent. There could be independents everywhere. Uh, we could have 20 bobcatters running around in parliament getting loose um, because I don't think anyone feels really like there is a massive vision. All that is seemingly happening for... Uh, both parties is just bait. Everyone's just baiting people to vote for them. So we'll talk about some of the history of the Australian economy to get to where we are today. And there were lots of reforms. If you go back to the 80s and 90s, there were some big reforms when it comes to how Australian economics works. In fact, if we look at why Australians today are one of the richest people in the world. Uh, We are the 12th healthiest place to live when it comes to economics. Um, There are not many countries better than Australia when it comes to economics. Uh, You know, number one is Singapore. Uh, There are a few other countries around the world that are better than us at economics, but we, we... Um, based on the history of how we got to where we are, where Australians today are some of the wealthiest people on the planet, has been some great moves and political decisions to put us in a place where we are a a wealthy society. Uh, We had the GST reform in the early 2000s. We had the China boom uh, and middle-class tax cuts that uh, really took Australia in the early 2000s to a new place where uh, people were earning more and um, seeing, you know, uh, wealth being created. We had the people boom. I mean, these were ideas that politicians said, well, we want a big Australia. We want 40 million people by 2050. How do we go do that? Let's create a people-based economy, a people boom. Um, and uh, a lot of the success that all of us have had inside of real estate has been based off migration, based off the people boom. We've had uh, uh, the resources boom. We've had um, certainly a housing boom, which, again, a lot of this is engineered through the political system. And most recently, let's face it, we've had a stimmy boom, and... Uh, one could argue potentially the stimmies are just going too crazy right now. Like potentially the drug of Australia now is stimulation, uh, government spending. And, uh, you know, in some respects, if we track inflation, a lot of it is because governments are spending just way too much money. And again, it's not a Labor or Liberal thing. Like whoever's in charge, they've just got all ideas is to spend. And again, I think Australia deserves a better vision than either Albo or ScoMo in my view. And it's not like any of the other people have any idea either. So I think we're just going to have to go into a place where we've just got another overarching, let's just you know, keep this thing going, right? That's that's pretty much the plan from everyone. Let's just keep it moving. Um, you know, status quo, let's just keep the status quo and come up with some um, a few bibs and bobs to plug into basically snobs and whingers inside the Australian uh, society. That's pretty much uh, what I believe is the plan because I don't know what the plan is 
I don't know what the BHAG is other than BHAGs created uh, in previous generations by previous prime ministers. So let's look at the policy platforms and see if there is a difference between Liberal and Labor. Obviously, they tend to be the ones that always win. So I don't think there's too much too much point talking about, uh, you know, Australia first or the Greens or whatever. But when it comes to debt and spending, there is no real difference. Both just basically want to uh, bribe the marketplace with stimulus. And again, I think uh, we need to, to, to start to rein this stuff in, like, we can't keep propping up the economy by just spending money from the government. Now, remember, government spending actually is measured in GDP. So it's kind of like um, it's, it happened during the pandemic. We all get that. Um, I think potentially would be even wiser just to cancel some government spending, lower inflation, calm everything back down just get back on track. But again, there's no real foresight with any of the government spending. It's more temporary band-aids, particularly around the housing market, which we'll talk about in depth. Um, When it comes to foreign affairs, no real difference um, whatsoever. Um, Obviously, uh, potentially Labor is a little bit more China-friendly, the Liberal government, you know, has openly had battles with the Chinese government over some of their interference into um, affairs, our affairs. And, uh, yeah, I think there is a minor policy difference there, but nothing, you know, that is, uh, you know, gets the hairs on the back of your neck standing up. When it comes to health, aged care, education, um, different spending, different stimmies, no real reforms, nothing interesting here. So as you can see, like there, there really is no difference other than some sort of mild political ideology difference. There really is no difference. Childcare, no real difference. Um, nothing really to, to sing home about. Tax reform, nothing, no real difference. Uh, you see where this is going, right? Is just a popularity contest now based on who is going to stimmy what to get things, uh, to keep things moving, to keep things rolling along, right? Um, and, you know, the economy has borrowed a lot to get in a place where it is functioning very, very well. Uh, the lowest unemployment figures, you know, forever. Um, but, Again, I think we can just, you know, from an economics, from a voyeur of economics, I think we can chill out a bit. We don't need more stimmies. Keep your stimmies. Keep your stimmies, Labor government. Keep your stimmies, Liberal government. Like, let's go in a different direction. But, hey, who am I? Uh, immigration, no real difference. Not one different. Uh, in pol- Nothing, nothing different. Uh, corruption. Uh, no real difference. Corruption fighting, I, nothing, nothing major there. Uh, climate change, uh, no one's really speaking out. Like moderately, you you know, a few things here or there, but no real difference there. Um, inequality, well, uh, again, I think really the only thing I can see is we are drifting towards inequality, and again, really the only way around it through housing is stimmies, which we'll talk about. Uh, When it comes to the tax situation, no real difference, right? Maybe a little bit of a difference if you have discretionary trusts and family trusts, you probably, um, you know, typically uh, see the Liberal Party, you know, a little bit more um, into that space. But Overall, like I like I don't even know why we're having an election. That's how I feel. I, I think the person in the street, no one, like if you said like let's have an election, like I don't think anyone's like like there is there is no difference going on. And uh, you know there are some real challenges in Australia, but man, I 
I I struggle to see the difference between the parties at the moment and uh, the policies. So I don't know. I don't even know. Like I might not even go and vote. I might just pay the $200 fine. Um, I don't know if that's a sensible thing to do, but I don't know. I feel a bit disillusioned. I don't know if it's my wife coming back or the election, but I, I feel disillusioned. No, we want my wife back. Don't don't say that about the little general. Um, so you know, Australia Australia's put itself in an interesting position when it comes to real estate, hasn't it? I mean, values are are up there now, right? Um, and you know, I often think you know my my job as a person that helps people property invest. Uh, is is on the chopping block. Like potentially people won't uh, become property investors because of the cost of living. And, um, you know, a lot of this has to do with inequality. And I've spoken a lot about inequality and the mega trends around uh, inequality around the world. It's, it's happening everywhere. Um, you know, you can't become a capitalist if you've got no capital, basically. Um, that it doesn't work like that. Uh, there's a lot of crappy skills coming out of the university system. The university model is creating useless degrees, uh, nonsense degrees. Like, like there are so many people that work in my business that have got into real estate and they've all got nonsense degrees that were useless in the real world. Um, and I think, you know, I don't know about you, but I just find so many people today are just whining and whinging about something which, again, I think they're just being programmed to be whinges. Like, there is no need to whinge. Like, everyone's house price is up. Um, things, are, things are fairly good if you play in the capitalist marketplaces. Uh, we live in a capitalist country. If you're a capitalist, you're not necessarily um, – you, sh- you really shouldn't have much to whinge about. We live in the 12th best economic zone, economic country in the world. Like there is a lot to be happy about. But I think, you know, what is fundamentally uh, happening is there is sort of like a bit of an unbalance ha- out there. You know, we're coming out, we're educating people for jobs that don't exist – our manufacturing has disappeared. Um, we really do not have a domestic economy, which blows my mind. Like we export stuff still. Uh, we rely on exports. We rely on new population coming in. You've heard me talk about fire economics. It's just the idea you build a new village, shove a home there, open a coffee shop, open a gym. Um, and, you know, that's that's kind of the model, right? Population economics. So we got to build a domestic economy. I mean, I'd love someone to stand up there and say, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do fast train. We're going to uh, secure, you know, we're going to sort out our water issues as a country and we're going to get back into manufacturing. Like you'd be like, wow, that's that's that sounds amazing to me. Like show me the detail on that. But, you know, um, at the moment it's, it's, it's spend and keep spending. And uh, eventually, if you put enough population into your economy, you will see an evolution of domestic economics. And, you know, it'd be interesting. I'm going to be a much older person, obviously, in 2050, but 40 million people, one could argue that is a tipping point for domestic economics. In other words, you could manufacture something here, but also sell it here. Um, We do manufacture things, but quite often they're sold overseas. Um, You know, we do export things and send them abroad, but really domestic economics, um, you know, there's not a lot you go and buy, which is Australian made and then um, can afford to buy it. And it's competitive to what's overseas. And there is enough people here in Australia who want to buy it. So the population economics thing, I think the long tail of that, despite it in some respects annoying me in the context that a lot of the property markets that are affected by population economics are just no-go zones when it comes to property investment. Um, Eventually though, you have a tipping point of 40 million people in your country, which is going to create 
local economics. It's going to create a domestic market. And that, I do believe, will be a brilliant time in Australia to get into business because you're going to have people whom you can sell to at a local level and do business with. And, you know, at the moment, really, if you look at the skill coming through the system, it's a bit out of line with what is truly going on. But again, maybe I'm sounding political. I'm not trying to sound political. I'm just trying to highlight some of the things I certainly see as uh, opportunities inside of Australia that, you know, we could all be going for. Hey, the great property ownership squeeze is on and both government, uh, the Liberal government and the Labor government uh, are all over this. They want to be part of the big rock of economics, which is real estate. Now, if you chart how Australia has gone when it comes to home ownership, you see that it was, you know, high home ownership for people who were born, you know, circa World War II, right? These people, like, all own homes. And the reason they own homes is obviously back then things were affordable. Capital growth wasn't really a thing. Um, and, you know, it was just it was just a normal process for people to do, to, to buy an affordable home, own a home, hold it for a long period of time. Property investment wasn't necessarily a massive thing. Um, and as generations have, you know, uh, each sort of 10 years, there's a new you know, group of people being created, like we can track that you can go back to all the way to the 1940s, people who were born then, the home ownership rate is 90%. You can go down and you you literally can, can uh, almost per decade of birth reduce the home ownership rate by around 10%. So people born in the 50s, 80%, 60s, 70%, 80s, uh, 60%, 70s, uh, you know, 50%. Um, so you, you've you got this kind of problem, which uh, certainly is the conversation of this election, that today, um, if you're going to university, um, you're already angry because you're borrowing money off the government. Um, you're doing a degree which potentially doesn't do anything. It's just nonsense. And uh, you're coming out of the university system and you're faced with a huge burden of trying to buy a property in a decent suburb for less than a million dollars. And of course, uh, to create a savings plan, to create the deposit, to play the game of real estate, um, a lot of people now just can't do it. They can't keep up with what it takes. And so we're seeing this big economic divide. And you guys know, I've been talking about this for a long time. Uh, If you go back to my earliest podcast within the Urban Property Investor podcast series, probably the one thing I've been telling everyone is there is a have and have not society. The have nots are basically now being stimmied to keep up with the haves, which just makes the haves even more wealthy. And we'll talk about that. Now, remember, in real estate, I teach 12 economies. There are 12 different economies when it comes to real estate. The bullshit economy, which is, uh, you know, quite often what most people put themselves through is just a lie, like they don't play the game. Um, They put themselves in a position of fear. They let the media bait them. Then we've got the population economy. You guys know the population economy, right? You put more people into the system, it grows the GDP. Then we've got the fire economy. You guys know the fire economy. Finance, insurance, and real estate. Big business, CBDs, they're built around the fire economy, the fire engine. Uh, big influence in Australia. The urban economy, you guys know this one. Like, um, obviously, urbanity uh urbanization is a concept which you know is unfolding around the world people are moving 
um, and migrating internally and urbanization is happening at an accelerated rate. There is people moving to, uh, you know, the right cities all over the globe. Then we got the behavioral economy. This is where people want to live, work, play, move, be part of knowledge, be part of wellness. This is an important economy. Then we got the global economy. And of course, global economics right now is a little bit crazy. Like we've got wars, we've got, uh, you know, all sorts of geopolitical tensions happening around the world. We got the shared economy, right? We've got, um, you know, the idea that today you've got inventory, that you've got property, you can use uh, Airbnb to create a better rental return from your real estate. Then we've got uh, really the decentralization of economics. We've got things like uh, almost like anarchy decentralizations. We've got the the cryptos. We've got, uh, you know, um, all this kind of new, uh, I guess, disruption, blockchain tech or decentralizing economics. We've got the knowledge economy. A lot of knowledge workers today are blessed off the back of uh, certainly the spatial transformation of real estate. The knowledge workers today really want livable places because uh, they can work from anywhere. We've got the green economy. We've got a green economy, which we need to understand. Real estate is changing. Climate change is happening. Uh, we've got the traditional economy, which, um, as you guys know, every month the Reserve Bank of Australia meets and talks about, you know, what's happening locally, domestically, um, traditionally, what that means in real estate, where are supply and demand moving, um, you know, that in itself, the traditional economy has been very favorable of late to the real estate marketplace. Then we have what I refer to as the command economy. And the election is all about command economics. Command economics is just the idea that real estate, if you like, is not necessarily a free marketplace. Real estate is actually a marketplace which is often propped up by the, uh, the, the command-led economy, propped up by what I refer to as the four horsemen. The four horsemen are of the command-led economy, the government of the day, the Reserve Bank of Australia, the big four banks, and APRA, who is the regulator of money. Uh, the four horsemen, if you like, can pick on the real estate market at any time and meddle with how values work, command-led economics. Now, if you think about property investment through the pandemic, you know, the command-led economy kicked into gear. It was like, can't evict people. Um, you know, the big four uh, banks said, well, we'll give mortgage relief because this is unheard of. Um, we want to protect you. We want to protect our position as much as anything. The Reserve Bank, if you like, they actually lowered the cash rate to get people enthusiastic about shopping. Uh, APRA, stop meddling with basically their um, position on who can borrow money. They got out of the way and the government stimulated everything. So you basically had the four horsemen of the command economy basically letting everything happen so that the wealth effect unfolded. Now, what I can tell from the next phase of real estate and particularly off the back of the election is that the government is ready to go. They want, uh, they want to stimulate more. They want to get more people into housing. They want the real estate market to, to do well, right? That's whether they're labor or liberal. The government of the big four of the command economy is commanding the economy to actually like real estate. And it doesn't always happen that way, right? Governments can command the economy that people don't like real estate. The Reserve Bank, if you like, is like uh, almost, well, it's independent of government. And it's almost going, well, if we keep stimulating the economy with uh, propping up, you know, things 
unnecessarily, then like that's just going to push interest rate. So the reserves kind of, um, if you like, you know, the one uh, horseman that is, you know, trying to slow down demand. The banks want you to borrow money. I mean, they've got TV commercials, you know, come and refinance and I will give you $3,000, right? Like they are throwing money left, right and center at this thing and they've still got a lot of money to lend. There is no uh, challenge with the the big banks. Their financial position is very, very strong. And APRA seemingly is out of the way. So we are, are seeing certainly the big four or the four horsemen of the command economy, um, you know, other than the reserve having to lift rates, uh, you you are seeing fluidity in the marketplace. And uh, one could argue that, you know, again, should we be stopping these stimmies, um, all this stimulation, government infrastructure spending, government uh, grants, government money moving around, and uh, let the economy do its thing. Um, and again, like uh, we have to understand that, uh, you know, Australia's wealth is in real estate, right? It is the big rock of economics. Most jobs are connected to real estate. Um, you know, right now I've got a cleaner in the house because the little general's coming back in, uh, in, in two days. You know, like I'm panicking, like I need a cleaner. Like how the cleaner cleans houses, like that. That's that's the job. Um, doing a great job. Um, you know, uh, delivery people bringing things to houses. Um, there's a um, you know, guy down the street building a house. Builders are connected to housing. I'm thinking, I'm gonna, I'm getting skylights. Uh, skylight manufacturer selling to houses. So. The whole Australian economy is connected to housing and um, it's so fascinating to watch the command economy, you know, tweak into gear and, you know, I guess we're all sort of questioning what would happen this election and, you know, would it be a command-led economy which, you know, was anti-real estate? And, of course, the last election, Bill Shorten fundamentally was anti-real estate that cost him his opportunity to be Prime Minister of Australia. Uh, people saw the command and went, we don't want that command, go away with that one. Um, you know, over in New Zealand, the command-led economy of the New Zealand government have been tinkering a lot with how real estate works. And, of course, um, if you look at the results of that in New Zealand, it's it's meant the market slowed right up, right? So where are we at with what the government wants to do with real estate. Well, uh, I tell you what, uh, the Labor Party wants to become property investors, which blows my mind. We are finally at a point where socialism is real. Like the, the, the idea of someone coming out of the university system with a degree that's worthwhile, that's not nonsense, with capital to buy real estate, to uh, get a return on investment on their degree to make a shitload of money, um, to make money quickly, to get into the market. It's kind of, it's not happening. And so the command economy is kicking into gear and going, well, if you've got no capital, you can't be a capitalist. So why don't we give you the money and joint venture with you? And really, I think this election just shows the real estate market is an interesting marketplace. Um, it's so fascinating to watch. Now, uh, three years ago, it was like, um, you know, you shouldn't own properties as an investment. Um, you know, properties just roof over people's head. We're going to kill negative gearing. Now, it's like, well, we can't beat you. So let's join you and actually become property investors amazing right um obviously that's a labor party policy and we'll talk a little bit about that so there's two distinct i guess real estate policies that have come out uh the liberal party has pledged to focus on home ownership if you like um with a increased number of low deposit guarantee schemes for the first homeowner market increasing the number to uh basically around 50,000 deposits that they will guarantee 
um, for people to go and buy a property. And all that fundamentally means is when you're buying a property, there's a loan to value ratio to go and buy that asset. Um, you know, if you've got no money, you basically put a low deposit down, but then you're slugged with mortgage insurance and that mortgage insurance is a lot of money. And of course, you know, for people, um, you know, in the new generations coming through the system, they don't have any money. So they've got no capital, so they can't be capitalists. So the government's like, well, we'll help you be capitalists, right? Um, so really the only difference between the two systems, if you like, is the Labor Party um, is going to match what the Liberal Party's doing with basically paying for mortgage insurance and sort of first uh, guaranteeing um, housing. But they've also got another uh, layer on top of that whereby uh, 10,000 low income earners can apply for basically a joint venture with the Labor Party, um, which is amazing, right? Like it's, it's, it's gone so far. We're at that point that, uh, you know, basically now the government is going to be your joint venture partner when it comes to real estate ownership. And uh, though it's, it's obviously a bit of a bait and switch with only 10,000 people applicable for the uh, for the position to be a joint venture um, of the uh, of the Labor Party, or if they were to become government, form government, the Australian government, um, it, it's pretty amazing to me that we've got to this point. Uh, it goes to show that real estate is such a concrete asset class now. Like this is the moment when uh, I've been waiting for this moment for so long. Like. I knew this was going to happen. Like, this is the point of no return. Like, you're either in, you're either a capitalist, you're either making money from real estate. Now, it doesn't mean that you become, you know, uh, an angry capitalist. I mean, you can go and do some great things with money. You can change the world with money. You can, um, you know, cure all sorts of problems with money. But the point, what we are seeing is uh, new generations have no money. We've got a problem up and the best place to put them is the great Australian dream, which is uh, the housing marketplace. Now, that particular uh, scheme, if you like, you know, people just need a 2% deposit and then uh, the government or the Labor Party will joint venture with them and basically uh, provide a contribution of up to 40% for the home ownership. So the government will own 40% um, and the, uh, you know, the get started person, the the rest. Amazing, right? Uh, the challenge, I you know, like, I don't know how you recycle equity. I guess it's not about that. You, you both obviously would have to pay out the bank, um, the, the government, and, you know, eventually what's left is yours. So um, does it put a roof over someone's head? Yeah, I guess so. But I think, you know, both parties, neither of them have a solution for supply. Supply is the problem with Australian real estate. There's not enough stock being produced, yet we need the population to grow the economy. Um, the imbalance is going to be here for so long now. I think I think this whole decade is going to be, the big conversation is going to be, there's nowhere for anyone to live. Um, and, you know, these policies, if you like, really provide one house uh, for two people. That That's all they do. That Like they match basically the balance of, of who's coming through the system. So they don't fix the inefficiencies in the, in the system. Like, you know, if you want to s- supply to lower the cost of property, you've got to produce more than one for one, right? There's one buyer, uh, one house being produced and one grant being created, right? Like that, that's not going to increase supply levels at all. Um, that's just basically, you know, the house wouldn't exist if the grant wasn't created, uh, you know, like that, that's the concept, right? So it's pretty, uh, it's pretty flawed when it comes to the idea of, you know, lowering prices, but I think everyone's agreed it, it's not going to happen. Um, it's a pro-property 
uh, situation. And I guess like the benefit for a property investor, if you think about it, is property investors shop a lot of the time in the same price range as first homeowners. Like a lot of first homeowners are shopping sub $800,000. A lot of property investors really are shopping sub $800,000. Like not many property investors that I get to work with can go into the premium suburbs, one five, you know, one three, one eight, and drop uh, that kind of dough. Um, if they can, they should, because that's where the best marketplaces and locations are. But as we know, most property investors are having a go at this thing called property and sort of spending, you know, five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars. And I mean, the good news is for that shopper within the property investment space is, um, you know, you're going to be competing with, uh, you know, 50,000 first home buyers um, and they're all going to be wanting to buy real estate at a similar price point. And so if anything, that section of the market, that sort of uh, get started, I'm an investor, get started, I'm a first homeowner section of the market. And of course, many of those locations where those areas are, are you know, more popular, um, certainly even emerging communities, tomorrow marketplaces, uh, new, uh, uh, you know, master plan areas, which are appealing to first home buyers, um, you know, they could do be very well at a, at a growth level. Um, certainly, obviously, we all know established areas also do very well if first home buyers can get into those marketplaces. So I think, um, what we have seen by the policy of both parties is exactly that, that they're now, um, they can't defeat the real estate marketplace. They are now joining the real estate marketplace. They are now continuing to prop up the real estate marketplace, uh, stimulate more people into the real estate marketplace. What does that mean for the real estate marketplace? Well, if there's no stock today and you're about to light the fuse of thousands upon thousands of people to go and find stock and basically help them into the market. Well, that's obviously going to create a command from the command-led economy to get into real estate. And of course, again, for certain sections of the marketplace, um, certainly the lower end of the marketplace, I think there's going to be a lot of stability, even growth off the back of these commands. So interesting to see what happens Hey, uh, I don't know who's going to win. Um, I just do hope that we have a period of good stability. Uh, I would love a vision for tomorrow. And um, yeah, I think um, at the end of the day, both parties are pretty neutral when it comes to the offer to the real estate market. And I think it's going to be, uh, you know, a pretty close race with uh, that, I mean, at the end of the day, um, for property investors, I'll leave you to make the decision on whom you prefer. Um, and uh, maybe we should all vote for Crazy Bob Catter. Uh, who knows? All right, guys, thanks for tuning in. Uh, I'll catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. I would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.